Afterthoughts, Episode 2. Welcome to Afterthoughts. I'm Paul Steele, and I am the senior pastor at Bethlehem Church in Austin, Minnesota. Afterthoughts is the podcast of Bethlehem Church, where we go beyond the sermon. Most of the time, what that means is we're going to take a look at extra material that did not make it into the sermon on any given Sunday. Sometimes that means that we will answer questions that people have because because we know that that there are questions people have about Christianity about the Bible and what it means to follow Jesus and we want to provide a resource to help people better understand what being a Christian is all about and how that that and how that can apply to their lives now this past Sunday my sermon dealt with three portraits of Jesus that we find in the book of Revelation The challenge that we have when it comes to Jesus is having a, a, a good understanding of who he is. Most of the time what we tend to do is we tend to create Jesus in our image. And that means that Jesus likes the things that we like. He has the political positions that we have. He hates the things that we, we hate. We create Jesus and then he ends up having the same biases and preferences that we have. So we need to make sure that we are intentional in finding out and creating an accurate image of who Jesus truly is. And that is why the four accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, found in the Bible are so crucial. They help provide an understanding of who Jesus really is. These gospel accounts don't just start with his birth and end with his resurrection. And just include those two events. No, they include his time as a teacher. So who is Jesus? Well, from the Gospels, we see that Jesus is a first century Jewish teacher. He traveled the, the, the countryside, mainly in the area of Galilee. And spent a little bit of time in Judea and around Jerusalem. But he taught. We also know that he did miracles. He did these things that, uh, and exorcists and, and things that amaze people and help people. Jesus also made some claims about himself as far as being the son of God and, and being the Messiah. And, and that he spoke for God. That's who Jesus is. So in the Gospels, we see that Jesus is a teacher. We see that he's a miracle worker. We see that he is the Messiah. 
another place that we can go in the in the Bible to give us a clearer image or picture of Jesus is the book of Revelation. Now, I know Revelation is kind of this this scary book because it's filled with with symbols and with the, these images that are hard to understand and and Christians for the most part uh get caught up with trying to interpret them and what what does this mean? Where are we at in this in this timeline of of Revelation and the end time? And we forget that Ultimately, Revelation is this book that is to provide hope to churches that are experiencing trials and tribulations. Now, if, we're, if we read Revelation and we miss out on the fact that there is hope there, then we're not reading the book of Revelation right. I've heard it explained this way that that revelation is this beautiful painting and rather than taking a step back and looking at it as a whole to get the whole picture we get up real close to it and start counting the brush strokes on it now we want to figure out what this number means or what this image is we're missing out on the big clear picture that revelation provides the clear picture of hope that that is to encourage us, to inspire us. And within this book of Revelation, there are three portraits of Jesus that we find there. And, and, and I want to take a look at these and, just, and add just a little bit more that I, couldn't ha- that I wasn't able to say on Sunday. So the first image or the first portrait of Jesus that we have is found in Revelation chapter 1. Uh, verses 12 through 16. This is the portrait of Jesus as the high priest. When I, John, turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in the furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun and all of its brilliance. So here we have this awesome image of Jesus. You know, this is this image of a high priest, the white, the white uh, robe, and the gold sash standing among the lampstands. That's high priest imagery. But then you also have mixed in there is this image of the Son of Man, which is a reference to Daniel chapter 9, and the the one like the Son of Man. So this is referring to to this image of of God, the ancient one that's found in in Daniel chapter 9. But what I want to focus here on is is looking at Jesus the high priest standing among these seven gold lampstands. Now, Revelation tells us that these seven gold lampstands are these churches that John is to write the, these letters to. And so, Revelations chapter two, Revelation chapter two, and chapter three, we read about these seven letters to these seven churches. And what we find here, so seven is this this number of completeness. 
Also, when you look at these these churches on a map in what is today uh, Turkey, so you plot them out on the map, they roughly make a circle. Again, completeness. I think part of what what Jesus is telling us here is that the problems and the successes that these seven churches have represent the types of problems and successes and and circumstances that churches throughout history and over all the different cultures experience. They experience the loss of love. They experience the loss of faithfulness. They experience uh, the presence of sin. They experience doubt. They experience the misplaced hope in, in the things of this world. And they, and, uh, they experience good things like, like evangelism and standing up for truth and yeah you know, so we see this mix of of goodness and badness in the, in these seven churches and what i think we should pull out of that is this is that jesus is very concerned about his church in this world he loves his church you know the new testament describes the church as the bride of Christ. So just like any group groom has a love for his bride, Jesus has a love for his churches, for his church. And he desires us to represent him well. And that's the core theme, I think, throughout these seven letters is Jesus is calling us to represent him well. He is watching over us. He is guiding us. He's encouraging us. And he wants us to represent him in a way that draws other people to him. He wants us to give him an accurate representation. To do the things that he has called us to do. To care about the things that he cares about. To love the way that he loves. So Jesus in this, in this portrait of being the high priest standing among his church reminds us that we are called to represent Jesus. Not only us as individuals, which is true, but us as a community, us as his people, as his covenant people. We are to represent him. That means that there needs to be a unity. There needs to be a love among his people. There needs to be a working with one another for that to happen. We need to care for God's church, for Jesus' church. We need to love one another. We need to represent him well. So when we see this portrait of Jesus among the lampstands, we are reminded that, hey, we have this important part to play to make sure that we are doing our part as individuals to represent Jesus as his church in this world. The second portrait of Jesus is found in Revelation chapter 5, uh, verses 5 through 8. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne 
and the four living beings, and among the twenty-four elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And then he took the scroll, the four living beings, and the twenty-four elders fell down, and before the, before the Lamb, each had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, and which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal open. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. So here we we have this kind of switcheroo happening, right? Because the, the tw- one of the 24 elders tells John, hey, there's one worthy to open up this, this scroll. It's the lion from the tribe of Judah. So we are expecting this lion to come out to get the scroll and open it. Instead, we have this lamb who comes out. And the distinguishing fig, uh, uh, characteristic of this lamb is that it looks like it has been slaughtered. It's been tortured. It's been killed. And this reminds us, and we see this in the worship of the, of the heavenly beings, that through Jesus' sacrifice, through the lamb's sacrifice, through his death, through his Uh, through the torture that he experienced, through his crucifixion, he has ransomed us. He has rescued us. So we are saved by the scars of that on that land. And it's my opinion that Jesus is going to bear the marks of his crucifixion for all of eternity in his resurrection body. I mean, we we already see that in the resurrection accounts in, in the Gospels, that we... Every time we look and gaze upon Jesus, we're going to be reminded of the price paid for our ransom, for our freedom. But the point that I really want to to draw out right now from this portrait is that here we see a good theology of power, a Christian theology of power, when we think of a lion, we think of this, this majestic animal filled with strength and with power. But instead, what we end up with is a lamb. See, the Christian theology of power is this. The lion who became a lamb who was crucified. The lion who became a lamb who was killed, who was slain. So often as the church, especially in the United States, I, I, I think this is, this is one of the, the areas that if Jesus had to talk to us today, this is, this is one of the things that he would deal with us on. Is that so often we are looking for power through politics uh, through through other means of strength. We want to win this culture war, right? We want, we want our nation to be a, a Christian nation. And so we look through uh, earthly forms of power, through earthly forms of strength to make that happen. 
and us who who follow Jesus and when we see this the, the lion who gives up his strength who gives up his power to become a lamb and that lamb who lays down his life that's where the rescue is that's where the true power is that's how God redeems and rescues his people that if we're going to follow the way of Jesus then we have to follow this model we have to lay down whatever strength we have to lay down whatever power that we have and realize that that's not the avenue of our salvation that's not the avenue of our victory the avenue of our victory is humility it's service it's it's following the path of Jesus who laid down his life. Remember, Jesus said, hey, you, you want to be my disciple? Then you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. And so that's what we're called to do. So when we look at this image, this portrait of Jesus as the sacrificial lamb, we are reminded that the way to victory, the way to salvation, it's not through might. It's not through power. It's through humility and sacrifice and service. And that's hard to do. That's hard to do. It's hard to give up our positions. It's hard to give up our beliefs and to surrender to the way that Jesus wants us to go, to do the things that he has called us to do. The third portrait of Jesus is found in Revelation chapter 19. This is the king who is ready for battle, the king ready for battle. So Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 16. When I then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings, King of all kings, and Lord of all lords. So here we have this king dressed ready for battle. And we get this image like, oh, finally, Jesus is returning and he's going to make everything right. But one of the things that should be uh noticeable here is that there isn't a battle there isn't a fight so two things stand out here the first is that that jesus on his white horse he is wearing a robe that's dipped in blood now there hasn't a battle yet whose blood is this well it's his blood remember going back to the sacrificial lamb. How did Jesus secure our ransom? How did Jesus secure our, our freedom, our salvation? 
Well, he did it through his own sacrifice. The blood on his robe is his own blood. That is the cost of victory. That is the cost of winning this war was Jesus's own sacrificial giving of his life. And then the second thing that, that we should notice here is that there's this sh sharp sword coming out of his mouth. Again, this, this should take us back to that first portrait, right? The, the, the portrait of the high priest mingled with the portrait of the, of the son of man with the double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. So Jesus comes. He secured the victory already. He has won the war. Now he's coming to make everything right, to bring justice, to bring judgment onto the nations, into this world. And how does that he do that? Through his word, through his declaration of what is good and what is evil, what is good and what is bad. The main problem throughout the history of the world is that humans have decided that we were going to declare what was good and what was evil. We reached out from the very beginning. Genesis, right, chapter 2. We reach out and we take that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We desire it and we take it. We want that power to declare what is right and what is wrong. And that has led to this chaos that has led to the injustice that we experience in this world. And the hope that we have in Revelation, the hope that we have in Jesus as we build this clear picture of who he is, is that he will come back and he will declare this is right and this is wrong. And that is going to be the final word on the subject. And he is going to rule with this iron scepter. He is going to, to, to make the judgments. He is going to, he's going to right the wrongs. That's what he is going to do. And that's where our hope lies. That is what we're looking forward to. That is the image of Jesus as this king on this horse ready for battle. See, his army is held back. They're back there, but they're not dressed for war. They're dressed in victory, right? White linens and white horses. That's what we get to look forward to. That's the hope that we have. So as we look here in Revelation and as we try to create a correct image of Jesus, I have a, a good understanding or a correct theology of who Jesus is. These three portraits of Jesus we find in Revelation are absolutely crucial in, in not creating an image of Jesus that is just based on ourselves. Rather than molding Jesus in our image, we allow scripture, we allow God's word to shape our image of who Jesus truly is. I, I thank you for, for listening today and uh, I hope that you have a great rest of the week and I'll see you back here next week on Afterthoughts. God bless. Mm -hmm.